Good morning. You don't realize what you, what you have until you don't have it anymore, and that's kind of cliche to say, um, but it's true. Um, it's been particularly true for my family as we've moved up to Indianapolis, as we've been gone from you guys and from this body. And the truth is, is there's a small part of me now that misses not being in Indianapolis and not being with the, uh, the church up there. There's also a part of me that's very happy to be back with you guys, and it's a delight to be able to preach to you. Um, so before we get into our text this morning, I wanna, we have to get some context, some backdrop. We're going to start off um, in verse 14 with Paul just giving a command. And what we need to do is understand the context in which he gives that command. So to do that, we're going to have to look back. Uh, verses 11 to 13 will give us that context. What Paul says in verses 11 to 13 of 2 Corinthians chapter 6 is, Our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is opened wide. You are not restrained by us, but you are restrained in your own affections. Now in like exchange, I speak as to children, open wide to us also. So why is it important that we know this? It's important because we have to understand that Paul is going to say something hard to them. What he's going to say is, do not be bound to unbelievers. You're to have nothing in common with them. And that's a hard pill to swallow. That's hard for us to hear. So what he says before that is, our mouth is spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is opened wide. What he's saying is, I'm your father. He's told them that already in 1 Corinthians, where he says, I became your father through the gospel. And so he speaks to them now as his children. He says, I'm your father. I'm opened wide to you. I've, I've revealed myself to you. You know me. You know me well. Now listen to me. And the reason we know that, that he has a close relationship with them is because they're accusing him of being weak, of being a liar, of not keeping his word. We only accuse people that we know well, that we're close to. Um, we don't have much concern for people that we don't know. Um, so we know that Paul is close to them, that his words are true. He has spoken freely to them. His heart is open to them, and now he calls them to the same thing. Open wide your hearts also to me. Paul is pleading with them as a father does with his children. Um, whenever there's discipline that needs to happen, whenever a father has to discipline his children, there come, there's a few ways to go about it. One way you can do it is by saying, you will do this. Do it. And the son looks at you and he goes... But why? Well, why do I have to do that? That don't make any sense. And you just say, do it. I said, do it. You shouldn't have done that. And they shame, he shames him. And he says, you ought not to live that way. And it's hard for the son to follow. And oftentimes it depresses them. And it's hard to, um, to obey. You don't want to. So what Paul is doing is he's raising their affections. He says, I loved you. I'm your father. I'm your daddy. And I know what's best for you. And I need you to listen to me. And what you need to do is what I tell you to do. Contrary to what most children think, parents do actually know what's best for their children. And that's what Paul is saying, is do what I'm telling you. So what does he say to him? Well, we'll read now, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through uh, the end of the chapter, and we'll pick up verse 1 of chapter 7. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said. I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. And do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you, 
And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So what we have, if you were to sum up this whole text, is Paul saying, do this. This is why you're going to do it. This is what it looks like. He says, what you need to do is not be bound to unbelievers. Believers should have nothing in common with with unbelievers. There's a reason why. It's because God's our, God said, I will be your father. I will be your God and you will be my people. I'll walk with you. I'll dwell with you. The whole point, and the point of him doing that is to say, this enables you to perfect holiness in flesh and spirit in the fear of God. So let's go back to the beginning of the, of the section, verse 14 and 15. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness or, or light with darkness? What do we all think of when we think of that? What we think of is what we've been taught. That that has to do with marriage, that that's the proof text for why Christians shouldn't marry non-Christians. That's the common understanding of this text. And the truth is, is that that's, that's a fair, that's an accurate application. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's not what Paul is talking about largely. Or he's not dealing with marriage and who you marry and who you can and who you can't marry. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is the Corinthians engaging in the idolatry of the people that, that they live around. That the Corinthian Christians, their lives look exactly like the lives of the Corinthian pagans. And he's calling them out on, on it and saying, don't be bound to them. Do not be like them. Does Christ have anything to do with Belial? Does light have anything to do with darkness? The answer is no, of course not. Then unbelievers and believers should have nothing to do with one another. They should have nothing in common. I realize that that's a pretty crazy thing to say it hits your ears and you go what what's he talking about that can't possibly be what he says he can't be telling me not to have any interaction with with non-christians number one it's impossible and number two how am i supposed to i mean i thought we were supposed to go and we're supposed to preach and we're supposed to disciple and baptize how do you do that if you have no interaction with with unbelievers if you think that then what you've thought is you've thought the same thing that the corinthians thought and this isn't the first time paul's addressed it with them If you'll remember back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I'll read it for you. Verses 9 and 10. Once I find it. What Paul says to them is he says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. It's pretty straightforward. Don't do it. There's immoral people around you. Don't associate with them. Right? And that's what you think he's saying again. He says you shouldn't have anything to do with, with unbelievers. If you're a believer, you should have nothing to do with unbelievers. Nothing in common. Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous and swindlers or with idolaters, for then you'd have to go out of the world. It's impossible. It's impossible for for Christians and non-Christians to not interact, right? If you're on campus, if you're at work, even in your own home, you have Christians and you have non-Christians in your families. What, you're supposed to just... Not, not ever talk to people who aren't Christians, not ever be work with them. You're not supposed to, you know, have any interaction with them. It's crazy. That's not what Paul's saying. So what is he saying? Well, how do we make sense of, don't, you know, you're not to have anything in common with believers, and you're crazy for thinking you're not supposed to have interactions with them. Well, the way to make sense of that is we have to learn to, to distinguish between actions and people. In Ephesians, it says... Do not participate in the evil deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. So, what, so the, difference, the distinction we have to draw is that there are people who do wicked things. 
and Christians are not to do the wicked things. That doesn't, have, that doesn't have to do with your interaction with the people. And the reason that's difficult for us, the reason we go from one extreme to the other, from having everything in common with them to going, oh, I can't have anything in common with them. Okay, well, what, I can't even talk to them? The reason our brains work that way is because we're, we're, they're dull. We're not able to draw distinctions and, and differentiate between the person and the thing they're doing. I'd illustrate it this way. I've got an old high school buddy who's coming to town in a couple weeks. I live in Indianapolis. And he's coming to a horror show convention up in Indy. There's, a, there's going to be a big gathering of people who are all celebrating and learning and I don't know whating about horror movies. And he's coming to see it. He's just a good old-fashioned pagan. I've talked to him before about, about God and about different things. And they've been good conversations, but he's not by no means a Christian. And he's coming, and so what do I do? I say, well, hey, man, why don't you, why don't you stay at our place when you come? And we live up there now. We'll save you some... some uh, a hotel room, and we can have dinner together, and it'll be nice. You know, I'll invite you to church on Sunday morning, and it'll be a good time. We'll get to talk. And there's some of you here who think, yeah, man, that's what you should do. You should, you, yeah, you have him over. And there's other people here who think, no, you shouldn't have him over. You shouldn't have anything to do with him. That's what Paul says. He says, don't have anything in common with him. Don't have anything to do with him. So what should I do? Should I have him over? Should I not? What about the convention? If he invites me to the convention, should I go? Well, again, you're going to find the same thing. There's going to be people who say, no, 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 you don't go to the convention. That's crazy. You wouldn't go to a place like that. You're a Christian. And then there's other people who come over and say, well, let's see. You've got a, non, a, a, a pagan friend, and he's going to go hang out with a bunch of other pagans, and you're a Christian, and you're supposed to go and preach the gospel, and what better place to go preach the gospel than in a room full of pagans? <laughs> that sounds great. I think you should go to the horror show. Never mind. I mean, it's just entertainment anyway, right? It's not real. Well, I'm not going to go to the convention. You shouldn't go to the convention. It's exactly what the Corinthians are doing. They're drawing no distinctions between what they're doing, between the lives they lead, um, the things that they, that they partake in, the things they do, their being Christians does not affect that at all. They have, there's no, I'm a Christian, I wonder if I should do that. Should Christians do that sort of thing? That's gone in their minds. It's not there. And we have to restore that. And the way we have to do that is, the way that that happens is us learning to distinguish between people who don't belong to God, who are not Christians, and the things they do. You may not do the things they do. You may not do them. You have to minister to them. You have to be around them. You have to, to preach the gospel to them. <clears throat> Our lives, while we do that, have to look different, though. Our, a Christian's life, you should be able to look. How are Christians known? What marks a Christian? It's that they have fruit in their lives. It's that they love one another. That's different than the world. And that's what we're called to do as Christians. That's the difference in our lives. So if I've convinced you by now that there is temptation in Corinth and there's temptation here for us to conform to the world, for us to blur the distinction between what, what people who don't belong to God and what people who do belong to God do with their lives, how they live their lives, the sorts of um, things that they, the cars they drive, the houses they live in, the sorts of um, movies they watch, the sorts of clothes they wear, the kind of video games their kids play, we bring all of that and put it on the table and say, should there be any difference? 
Are there movies Christians shouldn't go see? Are there clothes that Christians shouldn't wear? And you go, yeah, yeah, there, there are things we shouldn't do as Christians. You know, they're bad, they're sins, and, and we need to not do them. So how do you fight against the temptation to do them? What Paul does in verse 16 is he asks another question. He's asked all of these questions, right? Light and darkness, Christ and Belial, believer, unbeliever, righteousness, lawlessness. And we go, they have nothing in common, right? They're opposites, intentionally. He's con- contrasting them. And in verse 16, he picks up again and he says, what does the temple of God have to do with idols? What agreement is there between them? And again, the answer is, well, nothing. There's no, there's no, there's no continuity. They're opposites. So how do we fight against it? Paul says, you are the temple of the living God. For just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That's the help. So is it helpful? Does it help you to know that God says, I will dwell in you, I will walk among you, I will be your God, and you will be my people? Does that help you fight against temptation, against sin? Does it keep you from going to the horror show or seeing the movie or, or, or just following after the world and going headlong into it? It should. Paul said it because it should help us. So how is it helpful? Why does it help us? The reason it helps us um, is because it shows you what idolatry is. What is idolatry? What it is is that you're taking something other than God and you're worshiping it. You're bowing down to it and you think, if I do this, if I have that, if that person likes me, if I get this thing, I'll be happy. I'll be satisfied. I'll be able to sleep at night. I'll have comfort. I'll have my security. And you could illustrate it in any number of ways. Our culture goes, goes headlong into trying to find those sorts of things, trying to find um, comfort and joy and pleasure and ease and happiness. And uh, do they, are they happy? Does it make them happy? Does the new job, the better paying job, make the man happy? It doesn't make him happy. Does the bigger house, does the flat screen TV, does the second home, does the big bank account, do any of those things make us happy? The answer is that they don't make us happy. And the reason they don't make us happy is because they're idols. Because you are to be fulfilled by God, by being a child of God. He created you to be his child. He has called us, called his children out of darkness and into light. And that is what we're supposed to take joy in. That's what's going to satisfy us. That's what's going to make us, um, that's what's going to quench our thirst. So why is that so sweet? Why is it that God making us his children, is a mo- how does that a motivation to us? The way it motivates us, the way it's helpful to us, is we realize that you don't deserve to be God's children. You don't deserve to be called son or daughter. And in our verse, we're, our section we're going to get to it, he says that you will be sons and daughters to me. What he's doing is taking someone who has nothing to do with him. Nothing to do with him. If you were to illustrate righteousness and lawlessness, and they're complete opposites, the way you could illustrate that is saying righteousness, holiness, God, lawlessness, deeds of darkness, us. We have nothing to do with each other. And God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. That's the exact thing that Adam and Eve lost when they sinned in the garden. Before the fall, God walked with them. God dwelt with them. They talked to each other. And when they sinned, 
God kicked them out of his garden. And he said, you may never come back. And he withdrew himself from them. He did not dwell with them anymore. So are we the same as Adam and Eve? Are we not sinners? Does our sin not separate us from God? But in our text, we have God saying, I will be your God and you will be my people and I will dwell with you and I will walk among you. God's redeeming his people. He's coming to them and saying, I'm going to fix the things that have been broken and messed up. And in most places, that's a good story with a happy ending. You've heard it before, you know. You were created, and God, then there was the fall, and then God sent Jesus, and Jesus paid the price for your sins, so now God likes you again. And you get along, and you're friends. And you're his child, and he's gone to prepare a place for you in heaven. And isn't that wonderful? Yes, that is wonderful. So why did he do it? Did he do it because, you're so one, because you deserve it? Because you've obeyed God? Have you kept the law? Do you deserve to live? Do you deserve to have God call you child? The answer is no, you don't deserve to have God call you child. What we deserve is to pay the penalty for our sins. And God would be righteous and just to do it. To have us bear the penalty for our sins. But he says, no, I'll send my son to pay the price for the sins so that you can become a child of mine. Why? so that you can keep my commandments. What is the chief end of man? What's the point? Why did he create us? What he says, what the catechism says, is so that you will glorify him and enjoy him forever. So what does it mean to glorify God? It means to obey him. It means to do what he wants, to do what he commands. Remember that we've already ta- I've already said that we're completely unable to, to acquire God's kindness by ourselves. We can't do it. There's nothing you can do to get God to look favorably upon you. There's nothing you can do to break into his family. If you've ever had a cat that's outside or maybe one that's inside, inevitably at some point you've had that cat kill a mouse. And you've had that cat bring that mouse and set it right near your front door or right near the foot of your bed, or somewhere that you'll see it, because he's proud of it. He brings it and says, look, look what I did. I've, I've killed the mouse. And aren't you happy about it? There's, not, there's one less mouse in the house or in the yard or wherever I killed it. And what's your response? Oh, yes, I'm so happy. Good cat, I'm glad that you brought that bloody thing and set it right on my floor. No, that's not your response. You look at it and you go, why is that on my porch? <laughs> what's it doing here? I don't want that thing here. You've got blood all over my thing, all over my house. And that's what it's like when you come to God, if you think that you can come to God and please him. You come to God with your works, with your dead works, and you say, look, look, do you like me now? How am I now? Do you like me now? And he says, no. Get away from me with your, with your dead works. I have no interest in them. They're not good enough. And so you go away thinking, well, well what am I supposed to do? What? There's no other way. Well, there is another way. It's that he sent his son to die for us. To, to bear the penalty of our sins so that we would obey. Once the relationship has been established, then, we can, there, then there is a relationship for us to interact with. Once God makes you his child, once he calls you to himself, once he justifies you and makes you his, then when you come to him and you say, I've done this, and he says, good. 
And it's not because you've, he doesn't like you because of your obedience. You obey because he has loved you. So what does this have to do with our text? Paul says, do not be bound to unbelievers. Don't have anything to do with them. An, un, uh, an unbeliever and a believer should have nothing in common. But you're, you're full of similarities, Paul says to the Corinthians. He says, you guys are all alike. You're doing the same things. I can't tell the difference. You ought not to do that. And this is why. It's because God has pulled you up out of the pit. He's pulled you up out of death. This is what Jesus Christ's death did, is he redeemed you. He brought you up out of death and set you on a high place and said, you are my son, and I am well pleased with you now. That's what God did for you. And the reason is that you would obey him, so that you would be able to obey him. If you've ever tried to obey God, it's not a matter of not knowing what's right and wrong. We know right from wrong. We know what we're supposed to do or not supposed to do. It it goes on in your head. It goes on in my head. The, The... Simply knowing that something is wrong gives you no ability to obey. It gives you no ability to obey. So God gave us what we were not able to do. He says, you can't, you can't earn your way into my family. I will just bring you into my family and make you my child. And now you're to walk in newness of life. You're to walk in a manner worthy of your, of your calling. You are to obey me. So when Paul says, do not be bound to unbelievers, that's what's behind it. Is God has promised to be your father, to be to shower you with his love and his affection and his favor. Because it's his prerogative and that's what he does. And if he doesn't choose you, you can't earn it. So what's the problem? I want to talk about something that... um, I want to contrast the Corinthian church to our church in one way. Uh, You say, well, believers aren't supposed to be like unbelievers. Okay, I get that. We're supposed to obey. Well, what's what's obedience look like? In the, in, in the Corinthian church, it would have been very obvious. If, you, if they were even around to hear Paul's letter, they would have sacrificed much to hear it. They don't get to just come to church and sit here and go on about their life and have no consequences for what they're doing. It would have cost them something to be, to be a Christian, to belong to Christ. And nowadays in America, it doesn't cost us anything. No one harasses you to come here. You're not losing your job because you're a Christian. There's really no... The consequences are much different, and the stakes are much lower for us as far as the sorts of pers- sort of persecutions and the sort of um, affliction that's going to come upon us if we claim the name of Christ. So then you go, well, what's obedience? Is obedience coming to church? Lots of people go to church. Does, are you saying that if I go to church, I'm a believer? No, I'm not saying that. It's, what about being baptized? If you've been baptized, are you a believer? Well, you might be. You should, if, you, if you are a believer, you should be baptized. But is going to church or being baptized or having Christian parents or going to Christian school make you a believer? Does it make you a child of God? It doesn't. It doesn't make you a child of God. So what's very important for you to understand is what, what was a much clearer distinction in Corinth when Paul can say, don't be like him. And it was very obvious. You know, They're out sacrificing to to idols and having worship services and you're with them. Don't do that. And we all go, yeah, 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 that's pretty clear to me. That's something we ought not to do. Well, what is it in America today? Is there any, some, is there any flagrant, blatant sin, some obvious thing that the pagans are doing that we're not supposed to do? The answer is yes, there are things like that. One of them is um, fornication, adultery, um, 
there's very clear things that we're not supposed to do. But even they know they're not supposed to do them. They just do them anyway. So what is it? It's harder for us to tell what, what it is we're to do. <clears throat> God says, because I've made you my child, because you could not obey on your own, I've provided the relationship through Jesus Christ for you to be my child. And now what are we to do? We're to reciprocate with obedience. What's that obedience? He says, therefore, come out of their midst and be separate, says the Lord. And do not touch what is unclean and I will welcome you. I will be a father to you. And you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. He's made us our children. It's all on him. What we end up doing is we take... We have this thing going on in our head thinking, well, Christians are supposed to do what God says, right? Okay, well, that must mean that our relationship with God is based on that. And if we don't do what God says, then God's not happy with us. And if we do what God says, then he's happy with us. And then I, and I stand up here and say, no, you can't do anything to please God. There's nothing you can do to make him happy. Not one thing. God has sent his son to make you his child. And you go, okay, well, what happened to obedience? And I say, now obedience comes in. Because Jesus Christ has died to redeem us, to make us children of God, now comes obedience. Because you are a child of God, because God has called you out of darkness and into light, you are to walk and obey. Come out of their midst and be separate. Do not touch what is unclean. What's that about? Not touching what's unclean. It's what you did before you were a believer. It's what you're still tempted to do now. Don't do it. Don't do it. That's what Paul is saying. God redeemed you. You're not to go back to it. And he says, if you do that, if you come out, if you're separate, if you don't touch what's unclean, I will welcome you. Well, where is he going to welcome you? Well, he welcomes you into his family. And how do we know? Because in the next verse he says, I will be your father. I will be your father. I grew up in a home without a dad. Okay? And a lot of people come from broken homes or have bad dads. It's very rare, actually, to, find, to go talk to someone on the street who says, I have a wonderful dad. Our culture's trained us to say our dads are bad. So when you read this and God says, I'll be a father, you think, what's it to be my father? My father was terrible. I didn't have a father. What's it mean to be a father? What it means is, that, what it means is this, is that God will love you, that he will care for you, that he will lead you and guide you. And, and we don't have it in our culture today. There's nothing I can point to in our culture and say, you see, you know your dad, it's like that. I can't say it about me, and there's a lot of us that I can't say it about. I can't say, look to your dad, God's better. You know, he's just a, it's better than that. I look, to you, I look and say, you see your dad? It's nothing like that. In fact, it's the complete opposite. God has promised to be our father and to make us our children, and you have to accept by faith that that is a good thing and that you are blessed to be called a child of God if you are a child of God. And that's the way the chapter ends, right? It says, I'll be a father to you and you'll be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Well, isn't that nice? That's the end of the chapter. So why do we have verse 1 in there from chapter 7? There's something you should know about the Bible. When it was written, there weren't verses and there weren't chapters. (laughs) Okay? When we, when we think of, of the Bible, we think, well, that's the end of the chapter. That's the end of the argument. That's the end of what he's got to say about that. 
And I'll pick up my Bible tomorrow morning and I'll start in chapter 7, verse 1. And I'll, therefore, having these promises. Well, that's nice. And I'll just keep going. Therefore, therefore what? Therefore, what promises? What promises do we have? They're the motivation for you to obey. So what are they? The promises are that God will be your father. And that you will be his children. And that he will love you. And that you have a relationship with him that you cannot change. You cannot alter it. If you have children, you understand that you love them. Even when, they're, even when they sin against you and they disobey and they're, they're just a mess. And you have to discipline them. You still love them. Because they're your children. The relationship does not change. And it's the same with God. Therefore, having these promises that God will be our father, that we will be his children. Beloved. Paul started out saying, I love you. Now listen to me. Then he says what to do. Don't be yoked to unbelievers. Then he says why? Because God says he's gonna, you're his temple, that he dwells in you, and you're not to have anything to do with him. And if you do it, if you obey, I'll be your father. Having these promises, beloved, children of Paul, through the gospel, children of God because of his kindness, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. That's the point, right? For us to perfect, and you thought, here it comes, I knew it was coming, I'm supposed to perfect holiness, I'm supposed to earn it. It's, it's, this, it's this thing that goes on in our heads. You think, yeah, God loves me, God loves me, but then, then comes the punch and you go, ah, oh, see, I'm supposed, to, I'm, supposed to do, I'm supposed to do something and that means that God's not going to like me if I don't do it. <clears throat> it's not true. God loves his children, not on the basis of works. I have one last question for you about this text. If I've convinced you that you're supposed that, that God does require us to do things, that those things that He requires us to do don't earn our place with Him, they don't make us His children, and you go, yeah, yeah, okay, you've got me. I'm I I I know God requires things of me. I know I'm supposed to do them. God said He'll be my Father. I want to do them. There's a ver- there's a, a little phrase in this in verse one. That, that, that says it's hard. It's hard to fight against temptation and sin. And what Paul, it's right after defilement, he says, in flesh and spirit. So what's it mean? In flesh and spirit. You could take that out of that verse. Let's cleanse ourselves from all defilement, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Makes perfect sense. But Paul says, in flesh and spirit. So why flesh and spirit? The reason is because once we're convinced, well, I need to do something, I need to obey, God does require things of me, and I want to, we're inclined to stop there and to say, I meant to do it. I didn't, I didn't mean to do that. I meant to do this. And what Paul says, in flesh. In flesh. Perfecting holiness in flesh. It means that us being children of God, us belonging to him, leads to Outward holiness. Not just thinking, not just in our heads, not just, well, yes, I agree with what he says, and I agree that God will be my father, and that I'll be his child, and all of this is fine, and what does it actually mean? In the beginning, Paul says, do not be bound to unbelievers. He's not talking about what they're thinking about. He's talking about what they're doing. 
perfecting holiness, cleansing ourselves from all defilement in flesh. It's not enough for us to think, I want to do what God says. We actually have to do it. That's perfecting holiness. That's being sanctified. And now we think, well, okay, so I'm supposed to obey God. I want to obey God. That means I actually have to do things, and it's hard. And we're inclined to just go, it's hopeless. It's just simply hopeless. I can't. I've tried before, and it doesn't work. What Paul says in, in, in Philippians is that he who started a good work in you will bring it to completion. You need to understand what I've talked about this morning is that God has started a work. You've not started the work, which means your obedience is not what pleases God. It's not what makes you his child. And he that started that work, he who made you his child, will bring it to completion. He will make you holy. He will sanctify you. He will help you perfect holiness in the fear of God. And that is our purpose, is to glorify God, to, to, to praise him, to be like him. And the way that we do that is through Jesus Christ, through God having sent his son to die, to bear the weight of our sins, because we couldn't, so that we can obey, so that we can walk in newness of life, so that we can perfect holiness in flesh and spirit and become like God, more like him. Let's pray.